Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time agents! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. And good evening, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Great to have you on board on this Tuesday, February the 14th of 2023. Happy Valentine's Day to one and all. Hope you're having a great day. I'm broadcasting live from... Mishawaka High School, The Cave, where I'm filling in for Brian Miller. On tonight's Mishawaka South Bend Adams Boys basketball game from The Cave, we'll have the game on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. Pre-game coverage probably is going to start a little later tonight because it is senior night at Mishawaka High School, so it might be 7:20, 7:30 before we get the pre-game started at the very latest. And Ron Heklinski will join me for tonight's play-by-play of this non-conference matchup. Mishawaka and South Bend Adams both looking to hold a three-game losing streak. Right here on WSBT Radio, Sportsbeat airs tonight from 5 until 6.30. Then at 6.30, Tony Simeone takes over. He'll be live at Cameron Indoor Stadium in Durham, North Carolina, where tonight the Fighting Irish basketball team will face the Duke Blue Devils. And the Blue Devils are a little frisky. They feel like they got robbed by the officials at Virginia their last time out. Okay, I'm going to stop and say this. There is no sympathy for bad officiating going against Duke, considering all the games I've witnessed through the years at Cameron Indoor Stadium and the Coach K factor in these games. So I'm not shedding a tear over the fact Duke got robbed at Virginia of a foul call late in the game. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. What comes around goes around, maybe. So Notre Dame will take on the Dukies tonight. The Irish still looking for their first ACC road victory. And I got to be honest, I've been 
on this show for, I guess, hosting for almost 24 years now. And this is the first time on a Notre Dame basketball game day there's not an Irish basketball segment in the show. I, I just feel like at this point so many people have tuned out the team. And on top of that, I don't know really what else we can say at this point. It's like listening to Tony and Coach Bray in the postgame, their interviews after the game, there's the same feel to all of them. It's just kind of the same outcome each and every game. So I just decided tonight, even though they're taking on Duke, we're just going to have one of those nights. We're going to have to spend a little more time on football because, my heavens, football development after football development this week involving the Notre Dame football team. We'll get to that coming up here in a couple of moments on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. So again tonight, Notre Dame Duke at 6.30 right here on WSBT Radio. South Bend Adams at Mishawaka High School Boys Basketball Action on 96.1 the ton starting probably sometime around 7.15, 7.30. All right, coming up on the program this evening at the bottom of the hour at 5.30, I'm going to be joined by former Notre Dame recruiting coordinator Bob Kamel the last Notre Dame recruiting coordinator to bring in a number one recruiting class. He's going to join me to talk, among other things, the retirement of Notre Dame offensive line coach Harry Heastan. He knows Coach Heastan very, very well, has a ton of respect for the job Harry did through the years, including his two stints at Notre Dame. So we will hear from the coach, Bob Kamel, my former co-host on this program at the bottom of the hour. We've got a Twitter question of the day to get to. And the one I posted earlier today has tons of responses already. We'll get to that coming up in a little bit. In the 6 o'clock hour, only 30 minutes to work with. The My 5 question of the day. Since the Brian Kelly era began at Notre Dame in 2010, who are the five best offensive coaches at Notre Dame? We'll have a little sizzler to wrap up the program here on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. All right, it is 13 minutes after 5 o'clock. Let's get started with our hat trick of opening topics. Hat trick equals three opening topics. We start with Notre Dame football. And the report from ESPN's Pete Thamel, in which he states... Andy Ludwig will remain Utah's offensive coordinator because Notre Dame was not interested in paying the buyout to get him to the University of Notre Dame. Now, according to the Salt Lake Tribune, the buyout is reportedly at $2.8 million. USA Today has the posting of the salaries of most coaches and Ludwig's base salary last year was $1.25 million. Now, I know on Twitter earlier today, Pete Sampson, longtime Notre Dame writer, including right now for The Athletic, he mentioned in a tweet that Notre Dame knew going in what the buyout was. They continued with the process. They brought Ludwig to Notre Dame. I was at the Compton Family Ice Arena on Friday. He was sitting with Marcus Freeman and Ron Paulus watching the Notre Dame-Ohio State hockey game. I don't know if it was on accident, if it was on purpose, but Fighting Irish Media handles the video board work at the Compton, and they showed 
the two sitting there together. Again, I don't know if it was on accident, on purpose, but there was Andy Ludwig sitting there with Marcus Freeman. So he was here. He visited with Marcus Freeman. According to Pete Sampson, they knew the buyout, but at the end of the day, when it was time to make a decision, at least according to this report by Pete Thamel, Notre Dame did not pull the trigger on that buyout to bring Andy Ludwig to South Bend. So this is a complicated situation for media members because we're trying to give you the best information possible to form your own opinion on this situation. I know there's a lot of frustrated people right now in the Notre Dame fan base based on the reaction that you're seeing on social media and on message boards. And again, you got to take that with a grain of salt. Those people don't have to identify themselves on message boards necessarily. They can fire away without consequence. So you do take it with a grain of salt. But on Twitter, it's more you see who the individual is. And there is a good amount of frustration today. I mentioned this is the most frustration from the Notre Dame fan base about something other than an actual game result that I can remember in some time. It's a situation which we are forming our opinions based on reports. And Pete Thamel is a longtime writer. He has great resources in college football. And Pete Thamel is an individual. If he writes something, there is a pretty good chance that it is true. Can't say 100%, but when Pete writes something, I feel confident I'm getting a pretty good story. Now, is there more to this story? That's the hard part in coming to a conclusion on what to make of all this. Is there something we don't know about why Notre Dame would go through this process, bring him to town, if they in fact knew what the buyout was, which I assume you do, but at the end of the day, they didn't end up buying him out with the chance to bring him here. Is there something missing that we don't know? I wish I had the answer for you. I would say this. This is the way I'm trying to look at it. I'm trying to take off my media hat and put on one of your hats as a fan of this Notre Dame football team. I can totally understand the frustration today because based on the information you are receiving, it looks like Notre Dame didn't want to pay the buyout. Again, that could be what it was, simple as that. There could be more to it. I don't know. I wish I could help more in that situation. It comes across to some people that Notre Dame is cheap, that they're not trying to go all out to win a national championship. As people bring this up, they're bringing up NILs, transfers. There's just There seems to be some bubbling frustration right now about how college football is changing, and Notre Dame fans are wondering, is Notre Dame going to be able to keep up? Well, with the way they're recruiting, they've got a heck of a chance to be right there at the end of the day. So I'll say this. From my standpoint, if someone says, Notre Dame, I'm disappointed you didn't buy him out, or you're not spending the money. I'm not going to argue that you're wrong. You very well could be right. But I would just say take a deep breath. There could be a very good reason why Notre Dame won- 
did not want to go this route. Let me just form a hypothetical to argue against those individuals. It could be a situation at the end of the day when it was time to move forward or back off, they added the numbers together. The $2.8 million buyout, that's before you even come to an agreement on a deal to become the offensive coordinator. I would bet Ludwig was in a position, he and his agent, to ask for multiple years to leave Utah where he's very, very comfortable. I mean, he's been a coach for a long, long time. He could probably end his career at Utah, at least as long as his coaching staff is there. But maybe when Notre Dame added up the numbers, they thought, we're not sure we're going to get the value out of that number. We're not going to get what we want out of that number. I'm just really at Notre Dame, which I have no idea what it is. So I'm not trying to alter your opinion. I'm just saying there might be something we don't know, and maybe at the end of the day they looked at the checkbook and just felt like that Ludwig wasn't worth that amount of money. I'll throw that out there as a possibility. But we're now in day 11 of the Notre Dame offensive coordinator search. Here's what we know according to reports. We know that Andy Ludwig, unless something turns around dramatically, is staying put at Utah. That's been reported out in Salt Lake City that Andy Ludwig will remain Utah's offensive coordinator. We know that Kansas State's Colin Klein, he was here, offensive coordinator for the Wildcats. He visited, according to reports, he said no. Why? I don't know. Was it money? Was it just wanted to stay at Kansas State? Maybe he'll document that at some point. But he said no. So right now, two names are off the list. Brian Johnson, the Eagles quarterback coach, took his name off the list at the Super Bowl. So we're at day 11, and it feels like right now there's not many candidates we can point to or lock in on. There's just not that much information leaking out at this time. I just hope Marcus Freeman's not frustrated right now. I'm hoping that even though I'm sure he really liked this guy, hopefully there were very good reasons why at the end of the day they did not end up going for him. But it feels awkward, even though we may not know the whole story. And let's just see how this pans out. I'm kind of fascinated. It's it's different going through a coaching search in February rather than December. Sure, you've got more teams battling for the same people, but I'm just wondering, as I said the day this all kind of started transpiring, are many people going to want to leave where they are right now in February to go to Notre Dame, even though it's a great place to coach? It's a tough decision to make and move your family at this time. So, day 11, here we are. We'll see what's next for Marcus Freeman on his coordinator list. Again, Pete Thamel of ESPN got this brush fire going last night when he reported that the buyout was not going to be picked up by Notre Dame. And away we go with the coaching search. And, of course, Notre Dame is still looking for an offensive line coach. Also today, 
hat trick topic number two, Notre Dame men's basketball coaching job. You know, that's been very quiet right now. I'm sure Mr. Swarbrick is involved in offensive coordinator, offensive line on football, keeping his eye on basketball. There's not that sense of urgency for basketball as football. I'm just really curious to see how much in demand this job is. I think over the 23 years, Mike Bray took this program to higher levels than it has been. I know this year is a major step back, but we have to look at the entire tenure of Mike Bray, and he has brought the program a long way from one that was not making the NCAA tournament to making it 13 out of 23 years. They became viable opponents in the Big East and the ACC, which is extremely difficult. You're an ACC program. You hope J.J. Sterling stays on the roster. Program perception is much better than when Mike Bray arrived. Some of the negatives of the job, renovated basketball arena, new practice facility, they're okay, not elite, but they're okay. It's a tough place to recruit, tough to get in difference-making transfers. You're always going to be a secondary sport behind football. And if you're at another Power 5 school, would you leave your head coaching job for Notre Dame? I'm really curious to see. Porter Moser, I don't know if Notre Dame was interested. He took his name out of the running. The Oklahoma head coach the other day when asked about the Notre Dame job that he was not interested. And finally, our hat trick of topics moves to penalty or no penalty. Philadelphia Eagles cornerback James Bradbury admitted he tugged on the jersey of the Kansas City wide receiver late in Super Bowl 57 on Sunday, but was it really a penalty? Let's remind you, the score was 35-35 with a minute 54 to play. Kansas City was at the Philadelphia 15, third down and eight. Patrick Mahomes passed to Juju Smith-Schuster, was overthrown, and it looked like Kansas City was going to have to kick a field goal with almost two minutes to play, giving the Eagles plenty of time to get back down the field into scoring range, but the flag was thrown. Bradbury was called for defensive holding. Instead of the Eagles kicking, I'm sorry, the Chiefs kicking a field goal at that moment, now Kansas and 10 at the 11. At the end of the day, the Chiefs ran down the clock, kicked the field goal with eight seconds left, leaving Philadelphia no chance to come back. My philosophy has always been if it's a penalty in the first minute, it's a penalty in the last minute. Simple as that. Could you argue there were holds throughout that Super Bowl 57 that they let go? There is absolutely no doubt about that. The fact that Bradbury tugged on the jersey of Schuster and he admitted it, I give him a lot of credit for doing so because he could have really thrown a fit saying we got robbed, he didn't do that. I have a lot of respect for Bradbury. At the same time, he said, I thought they might let it slide in that moment, which oftentimes they do. I'm not sure Schuster could have caught that football. Probably doesn't matter since it was holding. It's a tough one for Eagle fans to swallow because you had a really good chance to still get that game into overtime at the very least. But I think there is no doubt that Schuster's route was affected by Bradbury. Hey, I'm a Bronco fan hoping the Chiefs were going to lose, so I was hoping the Chiefs were going to lose. And the flag definitely helped Kansas City, but in that moment, I think you have to call it. He grabbed onto him. He affected the outcome of the play. And I know Schuster was talking some trash on Twitter today, kind of thrown in the face of the Eagles. And A.J. Brown kind of fired back the Eagles wide receiver. So kind of an interesting day on Twitter for so many reasons. All right, 526 is our time. That's our hat trick of opening topics here on Budweiser's weekday sports beep. All right, coming up in a couple of moments, I'll be joined by my former co-host 
of this program, former Notre Dame recruiting coordinator. Also, he had the same job at Michigan. Bob Kamel joins me to talk some Notre Dame topics, including the retirement of offensive line coach Harry Heastan. That's coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, live from Mishawaka High School tonight. I'll be calling the Mishawaka Adams basketball game tonight on 96-1 the ton in the 7 o'clock hour. I'm joined by my good friend, former Sports Beat co-host, but he's more well-known for being a guy that worked for two of the greats in college football history, Bo Schembechler at Michigan and also Lou Holtz at Notre Dame. He is the last Notre Dame recruiting coordinator to put together a number one recruiting class, if I'm not mistaken. Bob Kamel joins me here on WSBT. Coach, it's always good to talk to you. How are things in the Kamel household? Very, very, very good. It's always great to connect with you. Great memories, and as I told you in the past, you are a consummate pro. Anything I knew about doing radio i learned from you and rick for that matter so well good to catch up great to catch up i'll tell you what i have never been more nervous for an interview than the day you brought on Bo to our program many many moons ago and i was scared man what if i asked the wrong question is is Bo gonna blow up on me that truly was a special special interview and i know that's somebody that you thought the world of he uh I, he was probably next to my dad, the biggest influence on his life, wow. on my life. I absolutely loved him. I miss him every single day. He was a very, very special person on and off the field and a very close friend of Coach Holtz, and he adored Era. I yeah. don't think Bo ever uh, thought that, um, you know, that he had a peer in coaching, but when he came to Era, that was his hero was somebody wow. that he looked up to. That's very, very cool. Coach, I want to talk to you for a couple of moments about the news this week that one of the greats to ever coach the offensive line, Harry Heaston, has decided to retire 40 years in coaching. He did it in the NFL. Of course, he did it at an extremely high level at the college level, including those two stints at Notre Dame 2012 through 2017. And we were blessed to have him back for one more year last year, but I think with some of the changes and other things going on in his life, he has decided this was a good time to retire. I would just like your perspective on truly how good of an offensive line coach Harry Heastan was. I, I, I love your opinion on this because you're around one of the other greats and Joe Moore. Well, first of all, this is the biggest loss uh, for uh, of a staff member. By, by far the biggest loss of a staff member for uh, for Coach Freeman. Harry was in a league of his own, is in a league of his own. I respect, uh, you know, his decision to step down. Uh, love Harry. You know, if you take the best offensive line coaches in recent history, if you will, they were basically all disciples of Joe Moore. And Harry was a strong as a disciple of Joe Moore as anybody. And then, you know, you had Billy Callahan and, and uh, Kirk Ferentz and guys of that ilk. But when it came to Joe, I mean, I remember going to visit Harry uh, the first time around here and 
we were watching film. We were talking about my Pete Kriplevich and Leon Wallace and tight end blocking. And then all of a sudden the conversation turned toward Joe, and you've got these two veteran football coaches in this room alone looking at each other and crying. Mm. And, and I'm not embellishing that. That was how, what Harry felt about Joe. You know, the hardest transition from high school to college is in the offensive line because it's all about technique. It's about a good stance. It's about a good hand placement. It's about a good first step. It's about playing in unison with the, uh, you know, the player alongside of you in your proximity, center and a guard, the guard and a tackle, the tackle and a tight end. And coaching tight ends here at, at, uh, at Notre Dame, uh, I spent a lot of time with Joe uh, side by side. And then when I went to visit Harry and talk to Harry about, uh, you know, offensive line play and that, it was like, here we go all over again. He had Joe's techniques down to a science, hmm. and you know as time went on, he added his his own techniques, and he's uh, he's he's going to be missed. And I would also say probably one of the hardest positions uh, for a head football coach to replace is an offensive line coach, because it is all about technique and it's about your pedigree and who you learn from. I would kind of equate offensive line coaches, if you will, somewhat to a martial arts uh, experts. You know, a person in martial arts has a, an identification with, with where he learned his craft. And it's the same thing with offensive line play. And as far as Harry, I mean, look no farther than, than the players he developed that, at Notre Dame and at other stops, by the way, that went on to great success in the National Football League. And not only as is, is, um, football players, uh, but as people, as men, because he preached that also. I've heard him in, in meetings. And they wear that, you know, that badge of, I was coached by Harry Heestand with, you know, with great pride. Yeah. And an offensive line uh, is a team within a team, so to speak. And it's a fraternity within a fraternity. Offensive line, linemen tend to, you know, uh, matriculate toward other offensive linemen. And, uh, you know, I'll give you a great example. You remember the great Tom Thayer who, uh, who played for Notre Dame and then went and played for the Bears. Well, he's my son-in-law's best friend. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we visit, inevitably the conversation turns toward offensive line play. And he's down in his stance, and he's taking that first step, and you know, and all those things. There's such a great pride in that, you know. Uh, um, it's it, it's special. It is completely special. Mm. Former Notre Dame and Michigan recruiting coordinator Bob Camell joining me here on WSBT Radio, talking a little Harry Heastan and offensive line. I like what you said a moment ago because someone else said the same exact thing to me the other day that for a head coach arguably the most difficult coach to replace on a staff is offensive line. This individual said there just aren't that many elite offensive line coaches to go around. That's why it's a little more difficult. Do you buy into that at all? Yes, I do. It's funny you should say that because one of my high school teammates and, um, and a guy actually that I coached with, Mike Berry, uh, coach, three national championship rings, coach for the Lions, one of my best friends in high school. And when I had heard that Harry uh, was retiring, and I called Mike and I said, Mike, now who's next? And he said, you tell me. And he said, Bobby, they're just, they're just not out there. 
And right now, you know, going into spring ball very soon, this is going to be a, a difficult hire uh, for Coach Freeman. But, um, you know, he'll, you know, put his, uh, you know, the word out. And But I, I think it's going to be a tough hire. It, it really will. And, you know, how do you follow Harry Heastan? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, seriously. But the other thing that, you know, Harry was known – as a you know an offensive line coach, uh, as you said, maybe one of the best ever. But th- the fact is, he was a great recruiter. And I remember yeah. one time I was at at the Morris Inn, and he was with um, a recruit and uh, the recruit's parents. And I happened to be walking by, and he introduced me to the young man. And I said this with all honesty to the young man's mom. I said, if you want your son to be the best person he can be and the best offensive lineman he could be, then this is the guy that you want him around for the next four years. And I meant that sincerely. Coach, is it even more challenging right now considering the chemistry needed between an offensive coordinator and an offensive line coach to be in the middle of February and searching for both of those? Absolutely. I I really don't envy Coach Freeman. Uh, This is kind of a, you know, a really a double hit. Uh, you know, there's there's a certain offensive line philosophy that, that called zone blocking, and then there's one that's called man blocking, and play callers have to be in unison, attacking defenses with which one of those two the offensive line is is going to use or the offensive line coach is going to use. So that that is that's critically important, and you know, and again, it's it's it's. It's technique and all those things, and then two two different philosophies. I'd have to say the offensive uh, coordinator um, it, it would possibly be involved, uh, whoever that's going to be, in in choosing the offensive line coach, so they are on the same page uh, when it comes to calling plays and and developing an offensive line. Hmm. Bob Cabell joining me here on WSBT Radio. I asked the same question to. Notre Dame basketball coach Mike Bray two years ago. And I'm, I'm going to ask you the same question because I really would love to get your thoughts on the state of college football. Because I asked Mike two years ago, are you glad you are coming toward the end of your career rather than just starting your career considering NIL and grad transfers and all the other things that are changing in college athletics, which is making the job of being a head coach so much more challenging. He said, you know what? I am glad I'm on the tail end. And he has talked recently about how NIL is just so much to handle. It it just engulfs your time. It's a major challenge. So, Coach, you spent a lot of time in this game, again, working for some great individuals. Are you glad you're now retired from all that, considering all the changes that have taken place, or would you rather be at the start again and, and just deal with all this and have fun again? Now, had I been consecutively in the business, you know, needless to say, I'd have to make a serious adjustment. But, you know, here's a million dollars, quarterback. Make sure you're on time for English class. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it, it's difficult. And it's going to get more difficult, and it'll be more difficult, I think, for Notre Dame because Notre Dame has a certain uh, integrity, if you will, about it, a certain class, a certain uh, uniqueness about it. And this, for me, 
I think will make it more difficult for Notre Dame because they will, you know, they will not compensate, will not compensate the integrity of the university for any type of NIL uh, type, type of shenanigans. And if I may say one other thing. Sure. If I was sitting next to Jack Swarbrick, this is what I would say to him. Jack, assemble the entire athletic department, the secretaries, the maintenance people, the coaches, uh, the administrative people, uh, the, the security people. Put them in, in, in the arena, the basketball arena, and have Mike Bray with a microphone in front of them to have him give a class on what being a Notre Dame representative is, a Notre Dame athletic representative, a Notre Dame athletic I don't want to say employee. Mike Bray, to me, is one of the classiest people that I have ever met in coaching on and off the court. The way he carries himself in the community, the way he carries himself in basketball. And I really hope that some people don't think Mike's legacy is going to be what this season has been about because it's far from that. I know I digressed a little bit, but what I just told you, I believe with my whole heart and soul. Hmm. Hey, just another quick thought, if you don't mind. The last couple of years, after some turbulent times, Jim Harbaugh's got Michigan back to the playoff two consecutive years. Of course, you and Jim have known each other for a good amount of time. Uh, We knew Jim as a racing owner back in the day at the Indianapolis 500 with with Panther Racing and, and and the number four car. Of course, Jim Harbaugh wore number four. There was a lot of Michigan folks that wanted him let go, couldn't be at Ohio State, program wasn't where it needed to be. All of a sudden, things have changed. I'm just wondering from the outside looking in your perspective on what Harbaugh has done with this Michigan program. And at the same time, it sure doesn't seem like the AD and Jim are on the same page right now. <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I've known Jim since he's been in, in – in the eighth grade, because, you know, his dad coached for us at Michigan. Yep. And he's probably one of the most competitive people that I've ever met in, on, the, on the field and off the field. Uh, the one thing with Jim right now, there was a parallel for me between Jim and Scott Frost at Nebraska. I mean, everybody thought when Jim was hired and when Scott Frost was hired, you know, this is, this is the, uh, you know, the son is coming home, the favorite son's coming home, and everything is going to be just great. Well, the fact of the matter is, Jim did not inherit a lot of talent. Uh, he, he flat out did not. And um, there was a point in time when I would look at Michigan's recruiting and kind of go like, what are they doing? Who are these guys? So even though he, he, he's, he's, you know, he's a fine offensive mind, he's had success at every level, and will continue to have success, it took time to right the ship from a talent standpoint. Um, The deal with Ward Manuel, who is um, the athletic director at at Michigan, actually uh, when he was uh, was injured his junior year, he was a great player out of of New Orleans, Mm -hmm. and uh, he had a a serious neck injury, and it ended his career. And uh, Bo and I talked, and we wanted to keep him around, and he actually came and worked for me in the recruiting office, so we became very close. And he's a special young man. I, I, I absolutely love Ward. Uh, I wish Jim would have called him being a teammate and told, told him that he was going to remain 
at Michigan rather than call the president of the university and have the president of the university call Ward. Uh, to tell you I know exactly, you know, what's going on there, but for me, uh, it hurts. And I'll be, I'll be really honest with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever is going on there, they need to put, if there is, in fact, something there, they need to put it behind them. And they needed to put, put it behind them in honor, not only of Michigan, but honor of the man that bought both, brought both of them to Michigan, and that was Bo. You know, we talk about yeah. the team, the team, the team. Well, we've got to be the team, the team. And they need to be the team, the team, the team, if you will, and get on the same page. And I hope that happens very soon. Coach, all I can say is this. Those who stay will be champions and play like a champion today. I'll just mix them all together. You can put them all together. Am I, am I, was I the luckiest guy in the world? How about, how about this Coach Holtz guy? How about him? I, I say, look, Coach Freeman, bring Coach Holtz back. Let him be the offensive coordinator for a oh. year until you find somebody. Because oh. if you want to run the football, this is your guy. And I always said when I coached for Coach Holtz, we had a balanced offense. We ran the ball as many times to the right as we ran the ball as many times to the left. Hey, Bob, they can't pay me enough money. Come back. <laughs> oh, Coach Holtz, Coach Holtz, Coach Holtz. Hey, Holtz is heroes, uh, that organization, doing phenomenal charity work. Yeah. And he still comes to the events. You know, and, and Reggie Brooks heads, heads that up right now. And, you know, any former player who may have uh, come upon hard times or – any former player that they can help with tuition for, for uh, um, you know, one of their children, they're there for them. And it truly reflects, truly, truly reflects uh, what Coach Lou Holtz is all about. You're still a cowboy to me, Coach. I greatly appreciate your time this evening. Always good to catch up with you and always enjoy your insight on what's happening in college football, including right here in South Bend. One last thing. Yeah. Deborah Peters. The great basketball player here? Yes. A Fenwick Friar. And look what she is doing in downtown South Bend. Creating a housing for people that possibly could not pay for normal rents here and there. There are very few people that come back the way she's coming back. And as her being a Fenwick Friar and me being a Fenwick Friar, I could not be more proud of that young lady. That is wonderful to hear, and I'm glad you mentioned that. And I'm sure second on her college list was UIC. Okay. Take care, my friend. All the best. Best to your family. You as well, Coach. Thank you. That is Bob Kamel, former co-host of this program, former Notre Dame and Michigan recruiting coordinator. Joining me to talk a little football, including the retirement of Harry Heastan. 549 is our time. Twitter question of the day is next on WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. All right, 554 at WSBT. Yesterday, and also going back to late Sunday after Super Bowl 57, I posted this question on my Twitter account at 960 Sports Beat. What was the difference in Super Bowl 57, a Chiefs 38-35 win over the Eagles? Here were the four choices. Chiefs offensive line, Patrick Mahomes, poor Eagles defense, or Eagles mistakes. Honestly, I probably should have put on there the holding call at the end of the game. Many people probably would have voted for that, but that goes under the Eagles mistakes category. The voting is complete. Here are the results. Coming in fourth place, 
poor Eagles defense got 14.8% of the vote. They gave up 24 points in the second half, and oddly enough, the Eagles defensive coordinator got hired by the Arizona Cardinals today as their new head coach getting a five-year deal. Now, he did a great job throughout the year. Just that defensive line did not perform at the level it did throughout the season as the Chiefs offensive line dominated them on Sunday. So poor Eagles defense got 14.8% of the vote. Coming in third place, 18.5%. The Chiefs offensive line, well, I think that was a major factor in the game. I know Patrick Mahomes is the NFL MVP, but I think the offensive line was the difference in the game. The Chiefs exceeded my expectations. They ran the ball extremely well, protected Patrick Mahomes. The Eagles, who had a chance to break the NFL record for sacks in the season, got zero in the game, maybe because they couldn't keep their footing. That had something to do with it. But I personally would have voted for the Chiefs' offensive line. 18.5% went that direction. Second place in the voting, Eagles' mistakes. Jalen Hurts fumble up 14-7 in the second quarter, returned by Bolton for a touchdown. Major mistake. They had some penalties that set them behind the sticks. And, of course, the holding call at the very end of the game, allowing the Chiefs to run down the clock and kick the game-winning field goal. Eagles' mistakes got 27.8% of the vote. And winning the vote is Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, the NFL MVP, the Super Bowl MVP, 38.9% of the vote. We thank you for voting. Very interesting to see the results. Now we move to today. A question I posted earlier today, and wow, has this question got a ton of response, and we still have another half a day to go on this vote. Here is the question you can vote on right now at 960-SPORTSBEAT on Twitter. Based on the report by Pete Thamel of ESPN that Notre Dame wouldn't pay the buyout of reportedly $2.8 million for the Utah offensive coordinator, are you concerned that the Irish are not all in to win a championship? You've got two choices, concerned or not concerned. The vote has been very interesting so far. We'll see what the end result is tomorrow here on the program, and we'll have a Twitter question of the day ready to go on tomorrow's program. So based on the report that Notre Dame wouldn't pay the buyout for the Utah offensive coordinator, are you concerned that the Irish are not all in to win a championship? Vote at 960-SPORTSBEAT on Twitter, and I've asked folks who vote, leave a response. Why did you reply the way that you did? Budweiser's weekday sports beat is being brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. We'll have a sports beat update coming up in just a moment. Then we'll get to the my five question of the day as sports beat continues on WSBT South Bend. One question, five answers. This is the my five question of the day on sports radio 960 WSBT. Sports beat continues. I'm Darren Pritchett. It is 6.09 on this Valentine's Day. Notre Dame basketball coming up at the bottom of the hour. Tony Simeone live from Cameron Indoor Stadium. 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock game time. 
as Notre Dame visits the Duke Blue Devils. And Mike Bray, one final time, gets to coach at Cameron, a place where he was a national championship assistant coach. Today's my five question of the day. Since the Brian Kelly era began at Notre Dame in 2010, who are the five best offensive coaches at Notre Dame? Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Number five was difficult. I was going through several choices. Ended up with Chip Long. He was not here very long as offensive coordinator. I liked the way he called plays, ran the offense here in South Bend. Ultimately, it did not work out for both parties, but I thought he did a pretty good job here in South Bend, but unfortunately just didn't last very long here and has moved on to a couple of the, couple of other jobs since. Now to number four, we go hey. with Tommy Reese. And Tommy just left Notre Dame for Alabama. Three years as offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. Before that, when I think about the complete package of play calling, coordinating, recruiting, and Chip Long was a pretty good recruiter, by the way, too. Uh, Reese, I just didn't think he kept the high standard for offensive recruiting, not at a championship level. Quarterback recruiting just was not good enough, in my opinion. It all changed when Marcus Freeman became the head coach. Then all of a sudden, the quarterback recruiting has improved. When you bring in Sam Hartman, you got C.J. Carr committed in the next class. Boy, things have really changed. Again, I didn't mind Tommy as a play caller. I think his next step is learning to adapt during a game. When something isn't working or the defense alters what they're doing, having that answer, and that comes with experience. I mean, he had never done it before. Brian Kelly elevated him very quickly to offensive coordinator. So I think that just comes with experience. So I've got Tommy number four on my list. Oh, okay, okay, uh, number three. Running back coach Lance Taylor, really impressed. Think about where Notre Dame was before Lance arrived. Running back recruiting was not in great shape. The Irish decided to make a change at the running back coach position. Taylor came in. He had ties to Christian McCaffrey, and he did an incredible job of rebuilding the running back room and a big reason why it is what it is going into the 2023 season is the job Lance Taylor did and he is blossoming as an offensive mind he's now an offensive coordinator really curious to see how that goes for a guy that really changed the running back room at Notre Dame Lance Taylor number two I am the biggest fan of this guy I'm betting a lot of Irish media members putting together their list would not have this guy that high, but Mike Denbrock is my number two. Offensive coordinator, tight end coach, wide receiver coach. He can coach both sides of the football, and he's coached both sides of the football. And I'll never forget a piece that my good friend Eric Hansen put together when he was at the South Bend Tribune, and he analyzed, and this was probably, oh boy, Eric, I hope I'm not wrong on this, four or five years ago, he put together a story comparing all of Brian Kelly's play callers, including Brian Kelly, the offensive play caller, and statistically no one did a better job than Mike Denbrock. There was a chance Denbrock was going to come back when Tommy Reese became the offensive coordinator. 
did not happen. Mike ended up staying at Cincinnati where he helped the Bearcats get to the playoff two years ago. And now he is helping to get LSU back on the map. I thought he did a fantastic job down at LSU last year with all of the transfers and then the transfers coming in, regrooming a quarterback that had been struggling. And Daniels, I mean, proof is in the pudding what LSU did last year with Denbrock in charge. And Mike Denbrock, for my money, he can call plays for my football team. Number one. Got to be Harry Heastan, best in the business as an offensive line coach. Did it for 40 years, did it at a high level here in South Bend. The way that the players talked about this guy, how they respected him. There could be that tough love during practice, and then he's a father figure once they leave the practice field. Just the ultimate teacher of offensive line play. And, you know, I wasn't around here for Joe Moore, but for my money, there's no one I would rather have as an offensive line coach. There are two on my list, Alex Gibbs and Harry Heastan. And Harry just did a phenomenal job here, got the running game rolling once again here in South Bend. And for my money, since the Brian Kelly era began at Notre Dame in 2010, that Harry Heastan is the best offensive coach in that time period. Heastan, Denbrock, Taylor, Reese, and Long. Your time is now 6.15. Darren Pritchett coming to you from Mishawaka High School. We'll take a timeout. And coming up next, we'll have a little sizzler, some sports wagering talk on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Show me the money. We go with sizzler. We go with sizzler. It is 622 at WSBT. Darren Pritchett back at Mishawaka High School wrapping up sports beat for this Tuesday evening because we have Notre Dame basketball coming up in about seven and a half minutes. Let's get a little sizzler in, some sports wagering conversation. Not a great night last night. I rolled the dice with Carolina. Big game for them at home. Would this be a spot where they would come alive? Didn't happen. Carolina minus five and a half was the wrong play as Miami ended up winning by 880 to 72. I had Armando Baycott of North Carolina going over 17 and a half points. Didn't happen. Only had 12 in the ball game. Pacers minus one against Utah. Pacers better at home than on the road. Utah struggle on the road. That didn't work out either as the Jazz won that game. And the lone victory was the Florida Panthers on the money line at the Wild. That took a shootout to win that game. Panthers won two to one. So one and three was the record last night. For the month of February, 18 and 15, and for the year 2023, 52, 44, and two. Well, the highlight so far of the 2023 wagering cycle in the program was my NFL picks in January. They went nine and four and just hypothetically wagering $10 on all those. We were plus $49.35. College basketball is my worst right now. So, of course, three of the four are college basketball tonight. Baseball cannot get here soon enough. All right, so here come my four picks for tonight's action. We'll start with the home team here in South Bend, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame on the road to take on the Duke Blue Devils. I have tried to ride the Irish 
down the stretch here in some spots. It has not worked out. Duke is a little angry right now. They got robbed, in their opinion, at Virginia. They're at home. Notre Dame just, it's hard to count on what you're going to get from them. If they hit 13 threes tonight, they might win. But you just don't know if you're going to get that type of offensive performance. Plus, Virginia, Virginia Tech put up 93 on the Irish. Duke, with their offensive weapons, what can they accomplish tonight? So it's just awfully hard to take Notre Dame plus 12. So even though Duke is not Duke this year, I think I am fading Notre Dame the rest of the way. Just hasn't worked out when I banked on them. So Duke minus 12 against Notre Dame at minus 110. From that game, I think Cormac Ryan has a good contest for the Fighting Irish. I think he's going to be able to knock down some threes from the outside. So I'm expecting a good night from Cormac Ryan. I'm going over 10.5 points at minus 135 for the Notre Dame veteran guard. From the Big Ten tonight, Illinois favored by two and a half at Penn State at minus 110. The Lions beat the Illini earlier this year. That's when Sky Clark was still on the team. The Illinois team was a mess, and they've turned it around since then, only losing two times. They were 0-3 in the Big Ten. They're now 8-5, so it is a bounce-back moment at Penn State, who has just five wins in the Big Ten. Let's go Illinois minus 2.5 at Penn State at minus 110. And from the NHL, it is truly a bounce-back moment for the best team in the NHL, the Boston Bruins, who have dominated the league, but they've lost four of their last five. I say they went outright, and Dallas tonight will take the Bruins on the money line at Dallas at minus 125. So that's our sports wagering segment. We'll wrap up with, again, a quick update of the story that we led with earlier today. Pete Thamel of ESPN last night put out a tweet. His reporting tells him that Notre Dame was pursuing Utah offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig, but according to Thamel, he Notre Dame did not want to pay the buyout that the Salt Lake Tribune is reporting was 28 million dollars so the Irish have passed reportedly on Andy Ludwig Kansas State's Colin Klein has reportedly said no so we have reached day 11 of the Notre Dame offensive coordinator search and still no resolution in sight again Pete Thamel gets credit for that story that his people are telling him that Notre Dame did not want to pay that 2.8 million dollar buyout to lure Ludwig to South Bend, so it feels like we're getting a little farther down the list of possible offensive coordinator candidates for Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman. Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight was brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you, Barnaby's the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is the story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And by Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. Well, for basketball fans, you have a couple of choices tonight of the Midwest Family South Bend group of stations right here on WSBT Radio. 
In about 90 seconds, you will hear the voice of Tony Simeone amongst the Cameron Crazies at Cameron Indoor Stadium at Duke, where the Fighting Irish will take on the Duke Blue Devils tonight with the opening tip at 7 o'clock. And on our sister station, 96-1 the ton, we turn off a little country music to have a little high school basketball action tonight, probably right around 7.15 or so. We will have pregame coverage of tonight's boys' basketball game between the South Bend Adams Eagles and the Mishawaka Cayman. Both teams looking to halt a three-game losing streak. Adams won the matchup last year against Mishawaka at the Hathaway Shack. So that's coming up on 96-1 the ton. My thanks to former Notre Dame recruiting coordinator Bob Kamel for joining the program tonight. We thank you for joining us here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT Radio. We're back tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, joins the program to talk about all the hot Notre Dame topics. But now, here comes Irish basketball on WSBT South Bend. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 